0: You're listening to Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. Barnaby is loving this. No filter. You have no filter. <laughs> That's
1: not yeah. obvious.
0: That's true. That's you a good. Just thing. say
1: whatever comes into your mind. Yeah. You don't really modulate your yeah. feelings at all. I'll yeah.
0: It's a good thing for me, but it's Ooh. a bad thing for Water. He's just a lot of fun to play with, all right? Because. It's Messier, man. I'm, it's, you know, I'm not as intimidated anymore playing, you know, playing with them. not playing golf at least, like I was playing the game against them. I mean, I remember the first time I faced off against Mark Messier, I literally went up to the referee and said, drop the puck as fast as you fucking can, please. <laughs> drop the puck as fast as you fucking can, because I got to get out of here. It was so intimidating. That's the truth. Now,
1: here's Matthew Barnaby. Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Barnaby. This is Matthew Barnaby Unfiltered. Finally back in Canada. It was a great month in California. The weather was great, at least, uh, but nice to be back in Canada. And uh, I was in Toronto for a little bit, did my radio show on SiriusXM Channel 91 with my good buddy Steve Coolius, Uh, just talking NHL playoffs all week long, and then stopped in Toronto and uh, had a hockey event for Alzheimer's Research uh, raised over a million dollars in conjunction with a lot of other alumni and, and great people from the Toronto area uh, that, that raised a lot of money for Alzheimer's, which is near and dear to my heart. My grandmother, in her in her last few years, um, passed away but uh, dealt with that illness, which anyone that is listening now knows how sad and tragic that can be. So it was, it was great to be a privilege. I thank the NHL alumni thank the Alzheimer's department for allowing me to be part of such a great, great, uh, cause and, and to my team. I, I played with the old slugs. Fuck are they bad hockey players? Terrible, but great fucking guys. What, what, a, what a great weekend we had. And they truly lived up to the name old slugs, uh, second year in a row that, uh, they drafted me to their team and w- w- was fun. It, it really was a fun couple days with these guys, uh, yeah, it's it's not every day that you get drafted fourth overall, and guess who went fifth? In his own town, Wendell Clark. So I, I let him have it that this was my town now. And Wendell, sorry, you're gonna have to take a back seat. Uh, in, in in all in all truth and reality, uh, they, someone probably had taken him earlier. And Wendell Clark is such a legend there, but so many great guys, guys that I play with, Brad May, that we've heard on the podcast before, Brian Berard. Uh, Ally Afraidy, uh, Steve Thomas, just so many great guys that uh, I'm going to bring on the podcast. That's a good thing about uh, doing that is I get to hear the stories and and stories that I like from guys I'm going to bring to you on this show. Uh, This week, got to talk Stanley Cup playoffs. We're going to talk some Brad Marchand, a little Charlie McAvoy, uh, guys that probably should have been suspended uh, a few Intricacies along the way that, uh, that we are going to deal with today. Kenny Holland taking over as GM of the Edmonton Oilers. The lowly Edmonton Oilers after being uh, replaced by Steve Eiserman, The great Steve Eiserman, the legend, uh, goes back as GM of the Detroit Red Wings. And also going to bring in my, my guest. I, I let it known last week because I wanted everyone to know. Jeremy Roenick, one of my favorites of all time will be the interview today uh, going to Stanley Cup playoffs carolina the damn jerks keep on going keep on rolling and much to the dismay of a certain don cherry who's way past his fucking prime by the way anything he says out of his mouth is fucking nonsense it's like gibberish it's like it's like listening to a two year old and, and i have respect for don don't 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 listen to this and say you're an idiot. He's, he's a legend. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. When I was a young kid, I loved listening to Don Cherry and, and what he brought to the table. The entertainment value that he brought. When I was 12 years old and everything would stop to listen to Don Cherry. But in 2019 and where I am as an analyst, a former player, I like, I, I like the intermissions where I learn something. Or at least the people out there can learn something and have intelligent conversations not just ripping people in, in character and, and being outlandish for, for no reason. To me, it doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't, doesn't make s- sense at all. And I think we're past that time in 2019 to call people jerks along the way and have comments that really don't make any sense with what we're watching in the game at all. So Carolina, 4-0. They sweep the New York Islanders. What a, what a story it's been. Uh, They knock off the defending Stanley Cup champions in six games. Depleted with injuries. Svechnikov has come back. Razzik now hurt. Furlan's been hurt. And all they do is win. They truly embody, truly embody what Rod Brinderboer is as a coach and was as a player. Hard worker. Honest. And going to give you everything that he has every single night. So, Congratulations to Carolina. You're on to the Eastern Conference Finals. New York Islanders, a great year. A great year. I don't want to mean anything that you guys did this year because no one expected the New York Islanders to do what they did. With the loss of John Tavares, this team bonded as a team, got great performances from a lot of guys throughout that lineup, but especially Robin Lehner, well-coached by a Barry Trotz. And unfortunately, when it came down to it against Carolina, their Achilles heel really came to the forefront and that was being able to score goals. Carolina credit them, they limited them. Great season four in New York, but Carolina moving on. Boston. Eastern Conference Final is set. Knocks off Columbus in six games. And in any series, usually your goaltender has to be your best player or play above average. Rask out-dueled Sergei Bobrovsky. Credit Columbus for going all-in. This is a team that Barely made it into the playoffs. Swept the best team in the National Hockey League this year in the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're very good in this series. This series could have went either way. Boston at the end, got the goaltending that they needed. Their top line came through in the last few games when it was needed. Got diverse scoring. And I, I really think their experience of being there before and winning cups served them not to... Not to panic when, when a lot of teams would have panicked. Younger teams would have panicked. Uh, but again, credit, credit Jarmo Kikulainen, the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, for going all-in, believing in this team. He has lots of questions now going forward. Does Bobrovsky stay? Does Duchesne stay? Does Panarin stay? Does Zingle stay? So there's there's a lot of a lot of things to answer for Columbus. We'll get to that in a month and a half when we get down to the draft and, and Free agency, what is going to happen with Columbus going forward. A great year for them. And Boston moving on to play Carolina in that Eastern Conference Finals. Colorado, San Jose, we will see a Game 7. JT Comfer, former Michigan star, with a huge game in Game 6 to really lift Colorado over San Jose to get them into Game 7. Grubauer's been fantastic for them. The Minikinan line has been slowed down a little bit, even though Landis scores the winner in Game 6 in overtime. Very resilient group. Very, very resilient group in Colorado. San Jose without Pavelski. Will we see him in Game 7? Time will tell. But this is a close series. Neither one of these teams, this this is kind of like St. Louis-Dallas. I don't think that either of these teams have played their best game when the other teams play their best game. It's kind of been one team has dominated the game, deserved to win. And then we go to the next game, and the other team dominates and deserves to win. Picked a lot of Game 7s. I I had picked three out of the four to go to Game 7s. We're going to get at least two going to Game 7. Colorado-San Jose should be a beauty in SAP Center. I picked Colorado to win the series. The top line, they are going to have to contain. Vlasic has done a phenomenal job of containing that top line, of McKinnon, of Rantanen, of Landeskog for the most part in this series. St. Louis-Dallas also going to a game seven. This is kind of reminiscent of the other series I talked about. One team dominates, deserves to win. Dallas comes back. They deserve to win. St. Louis comes back the next game and does the exact same thing back to them. Dallas, Dallas has surprised a lot of people. We all knew that they had Ben Bishop. We know that they have the top line, but the Rope Hintzes of the world, the the Zuccarellos of the world have certainly chipped in. We know the big three on the back end with Lindell and Haskinen. Certainly those guys just bring so much to the table. Klingberg has been phenomenal in this series. They garner so much attention because they play so much, because they aren't as deep as a St. Louis core. Bennington First game 7 ever. He has really done anything and everything. That could be expected of him to get them there. St. Louis with a big win. In Dallas. In game 6. Deserved a win. Right from the start. Going to be a phenomenal game 7. One of these two teams. I don't think anyone would have expected. Three months ago would have one game to win to go to the Western Conference Finals. But that's what we are seeing. Good luck to them. And on our next podcast, we will be into, or previewing, I guess, round two, or actually round three. My math isn't great. Back in Canada. In Canada. Not Canada. I'm from Canada. In Canada. That's a story for another day. Brad Marchand. I don't know if anyone saw the interview with Kyle Bachakis of Sportsnet. And a lot of people are making a lot to do with this because he answered in one-word answers. Sometimes guys get pissed off, and I understand people hate Brad Marchand. I, I understand it. I, having played the game, sometimes you're not, you're not impressed with some of the questions that you get asked. And some of them are stupid. Kyle Bachakis is very good. I like him, full disclosure. I think he's very good at what he does, and I think he handled the interview very, very well. Having said that, Brad Marchand responded because of the questions that Kyle asked him before a game in a pregame interview while on the ice. And I think Kyle went a little, little bit too far. You, you don't make jokes when guys are preparing. Be serious, because they're in a serious mode. And he asked him, anyone that saw, off a of faceoff, Brad Marchand tried to break the stick, of, I believe it was Posternak. And he did break the stick. And it, it was a little ratty, but that, that's what Brad Marchand does. He punched Harrington. I don't think he liked the way the media treated him, maybe from Sportsnet along the way. But Brad Marchand, simply in his interview the next game and with reporters after, kind of mocked them a little bit, but gave him one word answers as to say, I'm not here to fuck around. I'm here to play. And then he got amusement out of it. Media is making a big, big mockery of this. Who cares? It is what it is. Move on. Don't rip the guy apart. I know we hate him as a player. I love him. He does so many good things. 100 points. The best rat of all time, in my opinion, for what he brings. But let's not make too much of this interview. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't stab anyone. didn't rob anything. He gave you a short interview, kind of saying, fuck you. Don't ask me a stupid question before the game. Charlie McAvoy, in a close game, one nothing game, at the end of the second period, lays out Josh Anderson, a big Josh Anderson. Charlie McAvoy is very lucky. This should have been a match penalty. It was a two-minute penalty. I originally thought it was going to be a match. They were going to get a five-minute major. Here come the Columbus Blue Jackets. Did not happen. It's not the reason why Columbus lost the series or the game. But Charlie McAvoy deserved a match penalty. Clear check to the head. I think it's rule 48-1. This was a clear check to the head. This was textbook. Deserved a five. Because it it was a match penalty. This was a direct hit to the head, jaw, will be suspended, in my opinion. He will not get away with it. I think it's going to be two games. My feeling is Department of Player Safety gives him one, but I would be giving him two to three because to me this was malicious. He was kind of caught up with Zidano Chara on the sidewall, coming into the zone. Couldn't protect himself. Direct low to the head. Two games for me, for Charlie McAvoy. We'll see how it all plays out. Edmonton. Edmonton has a new boss. Peter Shrelly is out. In term was Keith Gretzky. Longtime scout in the NHL. But Ken Holland. A lot of people are like, oh my God, I'm surprised. Why are you fucking surprised? You could tell by the press conference. We knew when... Stevie Eiserman left Tampa Bay. That he was going to be the new GM of the Detroit Red Wings very shortly. There was a succession plan there. And anyone that didn't believe that, don't don't listen to people's interviews and, and take it verbatim. Read in between the lines. You usually don't leave one job unless you got another one secured. That's in everyday life. That, that's just not hockey. That, that's everyday. You usually don't leave a girl unless you have another girl. So the way it happens, right or wrong, that's just the way it happens. So Kenny Holland, Stevie Eiserman had his mistress on the side, and that was the Detroit Red Wings. Well, he ended up marrying his mistress. Kenny Holland sat through the press conference, handled it with class, but you could see that he wasn't happy, that he was getting pushed aside with everything that he had won. Edmonton scoops him up five years Times $5 million, $25 million. Is Kenny Holland the right guy for the job? I thought Ron Hextall would be the guy. Not that I thought they would hire him. He would be the right guy for me. I love what he did in Philadelphia. How he set that team up. I was very surprised that he got fired. With all the prospects that they have come in Philadelphia, would be good for years to come. Problem was they couldn't get goaltending. Power play was not very good early. But... What Ron Hextall's track record with the Philadelphia Flyers and how, they, uh, ha- how he has them set up for the future is very, very good. Didn't even get interviewed. Kenny Holland steps in. Obviously a great track record, but that track, re- track record was more in the non-salary cap era. In the salary cap era with Detroit, it has not been very good. Even though I do like the prospects that they have coming along, I think they are set up better. Then say the Edmonton others, even though Edmonton has two, two, two of the top players in the world. If you look at Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, uh, a lot of question marks in that organization. Where they are going to go? Milan Lucic's contract will probably hinder them a lot. Being up against the salary cap will hinder them a lot. Kenny Holland has a lot of work to do, a lot of holes to fill, with very very little money. To accomplish that, and he's not going to have three, four years to turn this around. There's an expecting that this is going to get turned around right away. I I don't see it. Too many holes, like I said, not enough money. Koskinen, three years at four point five million. Can he be a starting goalie? I'm not sure. Can they get enough diverse scoring when you get past the top line? Connor McDavid figured into 50%, 50% of their goals last year. On a non-playoff team, he's up for the Hart Trophy for MVP of the league. Now Kucherov's going to win it, but to be up for it on a team that doesn't make the playoffs just says how important he is to that team and how little they have beyond him. And dry side. Eugene Hopkins was, was pretty good this year. But the back end, they are going to have to hope for. I hope for. They're going to have to pray. They're going to have to pray that the Evan Bouchard's coming out of junior out of London is going to be great. Right-handed shot defenseman, defenseman of the year in the OHL. Yamamoto, who played in Bakersfield. Small little guy can add scoring because they're going to need depth scoring for little money. So a lot of things are going to have to go right for them just to get back to the playoffs, let alone be a contender. And we know how frustrated Connor McDavid is already. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. But all in all, great second round of playoffs that we are in. Can't wait to see the two game sevens that we have. The St. Louis-Dallas game, Colorado-San Jose. And then preview, round three. We're getting closer. We're almost down to four. And when we're down to four, we know anyone can win this. My bet right now would be Boston. Just with the experience that they have, the goaltending, the way that Tuka Rask is playing, probably the best he has ever played as a Boston Bruin. So, so impressive. So, so impressive. As promised, my probably favorite hockey player that I never got to play with, um, battled a lot against him, uh, will be a future Hall of Famer. Eighth overall pick from the 88th draft. Played in the Hull Olympics. That's where I grew up. Uh, That's something new, so we'll see if he learned a little French in his time in Hull. It was only a a brief time, but for an American kid, uh, I never thought we'd see a kid in Hull in that year. But uh, played 1,363 games, 513 goals, 703 assists, 1,216 points, and a boot. Fourteen hundred and sixty-three pims, not bad for a guy that scored that many points to have battled that hard. My next guest, like I said, most anticipated out of people on Twitter, they wanted to have Jeremy Rona Jeremy, welcome to Matthew Barnaby Unfiltered. How are you, buddy? Um,
0: great. And listen, every, every time I'm with you, talk to you, battled against you, it was awesome. So listen, thanks for having me on, Bernie.
1: A- hey. You you it was a lot of a lot of fun. We we did have a lot of fun. You had a lot of fun. Uh, Must have been a lot of fun. Not only playing in the NHL, but uh, you know growing up in, in the Boston area. Uh, just take us through Jeremy Roenick. I want to know what was Jeremy Roenick the kid like?
0: Wow, um, a lot different, almost polar opposites than Jeremy Roenick of today. I was uh, actually very quiet. I was very small. Um, I was a terrible dresser. Uh, I didn't, t- you know, I wasn't flamboyant. I didn't have an ego. Uh, pretty much everything that's uh, that's opposite of, of me now. Um, so, you know, I grew up be- being always the smallest, smallest kid on my team. Um, always played, you know, played up and up in age. I was fortunate enough to be, you know, blessed with lightning <laughs> lightning fast feet. Thank goodness because it saved my ass you know, most times, but, um, you know, I moved up and down the East coast uh, a lot with my dad's job, you know, started in Boston, uh, moved down to Connecticut, a few places in Connecticut, um, Hartford, Danbury, down to Virginia for three years, which is kind of where my, uh, where I really started to develop as a hockey player. And then back up to Boston, I go to high school where I played with Tony and So, you know, it was a, it was a crazy, Crazy youth for me, obviously, living on the road, going on eight, nine-hour road trips every weekend, flying up to New Jersey from Virginia to play for another team on the weekends, um, missing a lot of school. It was, uh, my, you know, I got to give my parents a lot of credit and a lot of thanks for everything they did to put me in the best hockey environment possible for me to grow.
1: I, I knew you played with Tony Amante at Thayer Academy, a great uh Great spot. Both of our kids played prep school, and we saw each other a lot there. Uh, what did your dad do, and why did he, you guys move around so much?
0: Yes, yeah, so my dad was an area manager for for Oil. Um, he uh, actually, you'll, you'll kind of get a kick out of this. He was, you know, when, when you go uh, when you, when you pull into gas stations like a like a mobile Oil or a Texaco or, yep. or a and they have like a um. A, Stopway connected to it or dunkin donuts connected to it that's in, inside my dad was part of that idea of 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 mixing um you know fast food and with with gas stations so kind of a one-stop shop so my dad was a one of those creative area managers and he just they moved him from area to area except for the last one when i was in virginia my dad asked for uh, a leave to go to boston so i can play actually took a a big salary cut to um, you know to put me in Boston and go work at a different job so I can play hockey so you know those are the sacrifices that you have to make as a, as a parent but that's that's a pretty big one when you're talking about you know going from a six figure job to a five figure
1: job yeah my my mother was a single parent family same thing she raised me and uh, we're both very fortunate that our parents you know, really paid the dues for us to do what we did. When, when did you realize, when did you guys realize that you were better than most players your age and obviously playing up? Uh, you probably knew at a young age, but you said you were small. I don't know when you grew. So when did you grow and when did you realize you were a little bit better than the other kids out there?
0: Well, I didn't, I mean, my first year pro in 1988, I was 155 pounds. Wow. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, and in and, and, and a time when it was, you know, Cutthroat, you know, in your face, physically mean, mean, uh, you know, fighting enforcer hockey. Um, back, you know, no obviously they didn't have instigator rules back there. It's survival of the fittest being 155 pounds in late eighties, early nineties was very dangerous. That's fucking insane.
1: That's insane.
0: Yeah. Insane. Like like the the guys that I played against and the and the looks of them and the mentality of them would scare the shit out of you. You know, Daily, it doesn't matter how much, how long you're there or, you know, there's always something that, that, that literally makes you shit your pants every time you walk (laughs) into a, into a building or a, a locker room, um, and have to have to deal with some of the, some of the monsters and the mentalities that the game had back then. So, you know, I had to learn real quick to, to protect myself and to, uh, and to make sure that I, you know, I, I could, uh, protect myself, not only not protect, but Want to right yeah. and have that desire to do it because, um, you know, back then when there's no instigator rule and, and I was a guy that ran around and 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 hit, you know, because of my Keenan, you know, you had to you had to stand up for the way you play. You can't you have to have accountability. You can't run from the way you play. And you know, I ended up fighting a lot of a lot of tough guys in my life that I didn't want to have to fight, but I but you have to you know. I always said if I wake up tomorrow, it doesn't matter what the outcome is as long as I wake up tomorrow. That was always my mentality. So. Kind of funny. It, it, but I knew I was. I knew. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I, I said I, I knew I was. I, I knew I was good when it, coming down the you know through through squirting pee wee. I scored almost three hundred goals in wow. pee wees, you know, two hundred fifty goals in pee wees. You know, so um, you know, I, I had some some real then my first my freshman year at Thayer Academy, I had like eighty six or ninety points in twenty twenty two games in prep school as a as a freshman. So you know that's when you know, I was playing with Tony Monti so that's when all the scouts really started you know coming around and and you know you knew that something good was uh, was in the future so um but you know you, you take your hard knocks you take your licks there's no question that I took them and I gave them and um you know it's been uh <laughs> Been pretty good for at least the first 50 years
1: of my life. Johnny Gaudreau plays at about 165. We consider him a little midget out there right now in an era where Mm -hmm. you don't have to be tough. I can't imagine what you did and the way that you played, the style that you played. I can't touch you now. Now now, now it's easy. There there you had to go through wax and being held and punched and being accountable for your actions. Uh, Who was the scariest guy back then when you broke in?
0: Bob Probert, without question especially during his uh during his substance days, you know, in Detroit yeah. when he was struggling with um, you know, with the substances and and his um and his ability to stay out of trouble. Um, you know, I got to play with Bob in Chicago. One of the nicest, one of the greatest men yeah. you'll ever meet. But when he got mad and he decided that 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 switch that switch went on, but get out get out of the room as fast as you can. <laughs> Because he had, he had an ability to, um, to literally turn on a dime and beat the living crap out of somebody. I mean, you've seen his fights before. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've probably gone toe to toe with him and at least looked at him in the wrong way. It's a bad thing. I fought, I fought him. I fought Marty McSorley twice. I fought Baruby once. Um, one of my best fights that I that I can remember. Do you remember uh, Walker? Um, he used to play for Vancouver.
1: I do. yep. Yeah. Scotty um, Walker,
0: Scotty Walker. Yeah. yeah he's that a lefty little, too. Fire, that, 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 oh, I found that out <laughs> the hard way. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a little, little, uh, fire hydrant of a, of a tough guy. we had an awesome fight in Vancouver one, one year. Um, you know, how about, uh, Bell, uh, Bell for Chicago. Mark Bell. yeah. Mark Bell. He's six, what,
1: six foot five. Yeah. yeah he's, he's a big guy. I play pounds, with him in Chicago. But-
0: Good guy, good team guy, but he wanted to fight me every time we played. So I'm like, okay, let's do it again.
1: <laughs> let's do it again. But, um,
0: you know, it's, I, I, I love that part of the game. You know, I wanted to be one of those guys that could hurt you offensively, hurt you physically, uh, you know, scare you on with speed, and then you know, scare you with not knowing that if I was going to take my stick over your head. You know, just have that unpredictability. I like that kind of. I like being that kind of multiple threat.
1: Yeah, that's that's why you were so dangerous because you could do it on all. I mean, that's why I respected you so much because you had what I wanted. I, I played a certain style, but I didn't have the the the, the ability to be able to put up points to you like that. So I, I appreciated it as much as I hated playing against you and, and made it look like I hated you. I loved from from afar watching you. I, I, I have to yeah, ask. That, you, we had
0: that respect for each other. We, right? we, Barney, we we always had that respect for each other.
1: Uh, we even got a kiss. We even got a kiss at some point, yeah. didn't we?
0: Phenomenal. I, I, we did we did thanks to you thanks to you and your, your, your beautiful, beautiful generosity and affection you know we kind yeah, we of tangled up in the corner and our faces got really close and he just felt entitled to give me a little kiss and you know at the time I, it would surprise me but as, as the years have gone by I've not grown to appreciate it we want another one
1: we, 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 we've kissed many times over the years usually it's in tootsies <laughs> yes, or, or something with, with your wife <laughs> around yeah. too so she doesn't have to be jealous it's okay how the fuck is a Boston kid End up in Hull, by the way. I I need to know. I I've heard the stories. Um, I, I've talked to Charlie Henry over the years, but That's now I need story. it from the horse's mouth.
0: It's actually a great story. when I was 14 in Boston, playing playing fresh my freshman at Bayer Academy, Wayne Gretzky asked me to go to breakfast with him when when the Edmonton Oilers were playing the Bruins. And he owned, you know, Gretz owned the Hull Olympics yep. at that time. Charlie Henry was his one of his uh, one of his favorite people in the world. So Charlie Henry and Gretz came to Boston, and my dad and I and my mom went to have breakfast with him and then went to the arena the Boston Garden, went in the locker room with him. After the game, went in the locker room, and he wanted me to go play for Hall and leave high school. Uh, never ended up doing that. Uh, but that summer, that summer, even though I decided not to go to Hall, Hall used their last pick in the draft to draft me. Just to, just to throw it out there, not that, you know, whatever the 10th round and Major junior draft is gonna is gonna produce, but they they picked me, and also Sue Saint Marie picked me, uh, their last pick in the Ontario draft. So move forward to be, when I was 18, um, I left high school after my junior year, went to went to Chicago, and actually made the team in Chicago at 18. Played four games, got thrown around a little bit, you know, obviously with the pace, the size, the players yeah. of 155 pounds. Didn't have any points, so my team then decided he wanted to send me to some place to where I could grow a little bit, play a little bit uh, harder hockey. So he gave me the option to either go to Hull or go to Sault Ste Marie. So I knew that Hull was a you know the the, the, uh, the Quebec League was a high scoring league, and you know I I lived and played a lot in the Quebec area. Uh, I used to go to Verdun a lot and watch um, the, Verdun, the Verdun Canadians play all the time. Um, and Paddy Lafontaine. Junior, yeah, Patty Lafontaine, a good friend of mine uh, named Neil Karn used to play for Verdun, and I used to go up and watch him. Um, he uh, he passed away in a motorcycle accident, but would have been a National Hockey League player too. But uh, so I was I was familiar with with the Quebec League, so I decided to go to Hull, and it was one of the best decisions uh, that I made because it uh, it was a type of hockey that I loved. Um, I. I ate it up. I think I had, like, 76 points in 26 games or something like that. Something crazy. And, um, you know, went back to Chicago in February uh, after after World Juniors and, a, and a, a short injury stint. And then, you know, never went back. So. I'm it all immensely.
1: Yeah, it must be nice to get called up to the NHL and get 18 points in 20 games. Not bad. No, it was
0: great, though. It was great, though. At the time, there was um, it was an emergency recall, right? The only t- way they can bring junior players up to the National Hockey League is if they had an emergency recall where they didn't have enough players in the minors and they had to call from juniors. Well, I played so well when I got back in February that Mike Keenan made some of the guys that were injured in Chicago that were ready to play he told the trainer to make sure that they said that they weren't re- that they weren't ready to play, and they <laughs> kept them injured so I could stay up. So it's kind
1: of funny. Love Iron Mike. Love lo- love hearing his stories as well, and uh, he's 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 a comic. I mean, when you get him, you get a few cocktails in Mike Iron Mike. Uh, you never know what's going to come out, but uh, yeah, awesome. that's something that he would do. One of my favorite people in the world. Me me as well. Uh, Miracle on Ice. Ha- how much did that? You know, being Canadian, I honestly never even heard about it till I turned pro and moved to Buffalo because you know we're 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 Canadian we're all all, we all live and die by our our our, our national teams um and it was kind of brushed under the I was a I was a younger kid I was born in 73 so I was only seven years old but even later I I still didn't pay attention to it how much did that impact you in in watching it and and then knowing what they had accomplished and um, some of the guys that you followed from that team
0: well the United States is a is a world power now because of 80 there's no there's no question yeah. about it because if you look at the, the look at the guys that have put American hockey on the map in terms of being a superpower and being consistent superpower is you know guys like Brian leach you know Tony Monti uh, Mike Medano uh, Brett Hall Kelly uh, myself Keith kachuk uh, I mean I can go I can go right down the line uh, John LeClaire. Um, you know, the Hatcher brothers, all of us grew up and watched that 80 game and watched that 80 team upset the Russians. And that had an impact on every single one of us. And it made it all of us want to be, you know, an Olympian or be a professional athlete. And so that sparked the interest in all of us. So, you know, it's funny how one thing will propel, um, you know, a team. And I think the 96 team, you know, when we won the world cup, um, in 96 has propelled the kids of today, you know, because the the American players of today, you know, Jack Hughes is going to go number one. Obviously you see what Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, all these kids grew up in the nineties watching us. So it's been, was pretty
1: cool. You you were a part of the world juniors. Your line was phenomenal, Uh, scored a plethora of points. You've been a part of so many different, usa teams that have had success is there is there a couple teammates that over the years that you've just come that um, obviously bonding and, and winning is is second to none but um, that you might be closer to the, than others that you play with
0: well chris Chelios is uh without question probably my closest friend uh, that I that I had and made throughout hockey and that has the most passion and love for the game that I've ever seen commitment and a guy who plays the game who played the game harder and longer than anybody I've ever seen Um, one of the best leaders I mean we call him Captain America for a reason and he'll go down as one of the best players not in just American history but in NHL history so he's one Keith Kachuk is another guy who was a leader was a you know a man's man um, knew how to play the game right with respect with grit and not so much grace, but, product, but productive. Um, you gotta love guys like that. I mean, Tony Monty's been, you know, I call him my soulmate, my soulmate of teammates. You know, I could have played, played with my eyes closed with Tony Monty. That's how well we knew each other. So, you know, I got, you know, Stefan Matto, Brian Marchmont, um, Rick Tockett. I mean, I can go on and on with guys that, uh, that I became very, very good friends with that I still talk to today that, uh, you know, you, you try to, you can't obviously. You know, be, see them a lot, but make sure that you know that they're thinking about them.
1: It, it, besides Chicago, I mean, that's, I think anytime you play in a place uh, to start your career, I, I, I associate myself with Buffalo because they gave me the opportunity. And, you know, I was young and naive and absolutely loved everything about it. Is there another place besides Chicago that you absolutely love playing? Philadelphia to me would have been a place that I would have. Absolutely loved it. It looks like a perfect fit from the outside uh, for a Jeremy Roenick, a guy that's able to score goals, a an entertainer, a guy that plays hard, a guy that'll uh, fight and defend his teammates. Is there a place that you maybe enjoyed more than the others?
0: Philly and I, Philly and I were like, like um, um, a perfect match for each other. I, I, me and Flyer fans, we we're, uh, we're just so close and we have such a, a, a good bond. I love playing in Chile. I love that area. I love having the flyers jersey logo on it was, it represents a tough, a tough part of the, a tough, um, time of history for the league. You know, the flyers have a mentality and, and I fit that mentality. Fans have a mentality and I fit that mentality. Absolutely love playing. And the only bit, the thing I take back right now is I would have, I would not accepted the trade that, um, that Clarky wanted to do to get, you know to get uh, Forsberg there in 2005, but that uh, would have a little bit longer. But uh, a great place. And then, you know, for me, San Jose is always going to have a huge part in my heart because I thought my career was done in 2007, 2006. If it wasn't for Doug Wilson and, and the San Jose Sharks, um, you know, there's I, I and let me play two years of great hockey with dignity and get respect and. You know, I was down in 2005, 2006 to you know the ultimate bottom, and San Jose gave me an opportunity to finish um, in a good city and a great, great team, having a chance to win. So um, San Jose always have a big part in my heart.
1: I can tell by your loyalty and watching on NBC, and I'll ask you for a few things on the playoffs uh, after, but uh, I can see when you talk about San Jose, your passion not only for the organization, the city, but also the guys that you played with along the way. Yeah. and it, it, It's nice to see that uh, we have some loyalty still in, in the game. I, I, I talked with Maisie a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I saw him uh, last week, and he told me a funny story um, when he was a rookie and he came in a league where Rob Ray shaved X-lax on his chocolate cake because he loves chocolate cake. He he ended up shitting his pants for two days, <laughs> almost got sent down, then stuff. <laughs> stuffed Razor's toothbrush up his ass and waited for him to brush his teeth. Do you have any, what are some of the funnier stories yep. along the way? And it doesn't have to involve shoving someone's toothbrush up their ass, but uh, some of the funny stories, funny guys that you played with along the way. Cause when we talk to people, those are the things when we go to events, they want to get inside to where oh, people yeah. can't go. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, you got, you got funny things, you got crazy things, you have disgusting things that happen to you in the course of a year. Obviously when you're with 25 guys, on the road for you know for a certain amount of time, especially throughout the year, there's always going to be some some sort of uh, of mayhem that's that's going to erupt. I mean, I I remember putting um, uh, Ryan Close made a to the practical joke on me, so for me to get it back at him, uh, the team was out at dinner and I left dinner early, went back to the hotel, and tried to get a key to Ryan Close room, and um, couldn't get it. Um, so what I did is I Went up to my room, I took all my clothes off, put a towel around me and walked down to the front desk to pretend like I had just got come from the spa that I'd forgotten my key. So I didn't have anything on me. Right. So it's a good way by the way to get a key when you when you don't need ID. I'm
1: marking that Trust down me. by the way right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, go go down naked to the front desk. I shit myself
1: I, I shit myself and had no pants on at the Drake Hotel in the lobby. But that's another way, but I I, I don't I, suggest I
0: remember, it. I remember the story. <laughs> I remember the story that's a phenomenal story, by the way, awesome story. So I, t- I, I took uh, Ryan close. Uh, key, went up to his room and proceeded to move all of his furniture out of his room and set it up down the hall in front of the elevators. Oh my the god! Elevator, where the elevators are, and I took every. I, I even put all the put the clocks on the table. I plugged in the clocks. I turned the lights on, and I set up his room exactly like it was in his room, out by the elevators. So when he got he got back at like three in the morning. There was nothing in his room. And uh he he went uh he went and saw his room it was put together outside in the hallway. I think he slept there that night actually. It was pretty funny.
1: Uh, yeah, no um, now- was now, now these guys drink Gatorade and play Fortnite.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it used to be beer and and poker in the back of the plane, right? Yeah. but Now it's it's PlayStation and and
1: you know health shakes. Yeah, I- so, interactive. Yeah, it's, it's a different game. Uh, yeah, interactive. Do you- I mean, you
0: know, I mean, I've I've been in I've been in rooms where you know I've been short sheeted You know, I had a guy drop a deuce in, in somebody's pillowcase and, <laughs> and you know went out of the room and you know that guy didn't have a very good sleep that night. So. Just you know, just a lot of crazy shit that happens in the course of a of a hockey year. Best
1: best personalities, funniest guy you ever play with. Uh
0: pro- probably probably Mark Bergerman. I play
1: Bergevin with Bergey twice. Alves. Yeah.
0: Probably Bergey it was is probably the, the funniest um you know, one of the best personalities and he was the first guy that's ever that ever dropped the gloves to fight for me. Somebody hit me and Bergey dropped the gloves and, and beat the shit out of the guy. Burgie was the first guy to do that for me. So I'll always have a spot in my heart for Burgie. I just love him and, and he was and you know how funny he is when he gets going, it's just you can't stop. You can't stop laughing.
1: I remember when Mario Lemieux came back to playing after Hodgkin's disease and his bad back and, and Burgie obviously very good friends with Mario. Would strip for him, put a put a, a ball in in front, and lay down the blanket. Pour Gatorade all over me, and he's jacked. He's ripped, and then he'd stand up and goes, "Anyone yeah, always, and, always in great shape." A, anyone see where the turtle went? And he'd have this like hard shell in his in his stomach that neither of us had. Where, where are you today? I, I, I hear you're playing golf today.
0: I am. I'm in. Uh, well, I'm up in New York, uh, Connecticut area, obviously where NBC is. Um, I'm going out to play golf with Yvonne Lendl. And uh, one of the best tennis players uh, in the history of tennis, and it's pretty cool because yesterday I played with John McEnroe. So yesterday John McEnroe, today Yvonne Lendl, and uh, probably later this week I'll probably get on the course with Messier because he has he has a, some of my money in his pocket that I need to get back. So it's a lot of fun playing in New York here. You gotta to get to play with a lot of fun, a lot of fun people that can play the game.
1: I I see you and John McEnroe throwing fucking clubs if you hit a bad shot. Yeah. Not that you hit a lot. What are you scratch or plus one?
0: Yeah, I'm a scratch. I didn't have a in industry and needed a so the f bombs were getting thrown out like, and then clubs were being hurled at, at a furious pace yesterday with me and Johnny Mac, trust me. I,
1: I was a tennis <laughs> I I say
0: I've never heard more F bombs being dropped in the golf course than, than me and Mac yesterday.
1: I, I was a tennis player growing up for a few years and I I love Johnny McEnroe. That 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 that's what I envisioned tennis. I, I love Yvonne Len. That's my uh Jimmy Connors, I mean all those guys, but uh, John McEnroe yep. was my guy, so feisty and just loved the way that uh, that he played the game. Awesome. So you got an amazing you got, man. Is he? You love him. You you, you yeah. got you got the moose coming up, so that that'll be pretty good. He's got some money. What's he playing? Don't let him tell you he's a seven or an eight. By the way, he's very
0: good. He's very good. He's definitely he's definitely a, a, a point shaver. There's no question about it. He's a great golfer, but you know what? He's just a lot of fun to play with, right? Because it's messy, eh, man. I'm it, you know I'm not as intimidated anymore playing you know playing with him. not playing golf at least like I was playing the game against him. I mean, I remember the first time I faced off against Mark Messier, I literally went up to the referee and said, drop the puck as fast as you fucking can, please. <laughs> drop the puck as fast as you fucking can, because i got to get out of here. He was so intimidating. That's the truth.
1: I got traded from Tampa Bay playing two minutes a night for John Tortorella. I get traded to New York Rangers, and I see my name on the board, and Messier is my centerman, and I'm like, oh, fuck. It's the only oh, time. Man. Yeah, first time I ever met him, and, and yeah. even after the game that night, my wife's there with my kids. And she's like, you're fucking, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like... I'm playing with Mark Messier, man. Like this is fucking not right. Like it's like Sesame Street, you know where the you have a light that that glows in the corner of the four corners. It this, this one doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. Matthew Barnaby did not belong on a line with Mark Messier, one of the greatest players of all time, but phenomenal guy. Yes, tell him, tell him to fuck off because he has a lot of money in my in his pocket of mine over the years that we played golf when we were in New York. So please tell him. Please tell the please tell the Moose uh, to fuck off. Is there a guy you still hate in the NHL? I, I have a couple. Um, is there a guy you still hate
0: that, that's, that, that's playing now or that I played against? That,
1: that you played against. I, I, I harbored some some ill feelings towards a few guys, um, most even though I had a lot of battles with. We, we go out and have a beer now, like Lyle line, I can go have a beer with, you know, guys that I fought yeah. along the way. Um, is there anyone you still hate? There's only one
0: that I that I can't stand, and one that I won't go out with or have a beer with, or or and that's that's probably one of your buddies is Rob Ray. Oh, uh, totally lost totally lost respect for Rob a long time ago back in the back in the '90s, um, and will never change. Uh, I hear great things about Rob that he's a great teammate, he's a great guy, and so on and so forth, which I'm sure he is, but just not in my books. So Rob Ray is really the only guy that I that I that I hated and still still can't stand even today even 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 turning on the television and seeing them i turned station I you know granted that I, I uh appreciate the way that he played and appreciate the uh appreciate his uh you know his commitment to how how he had to play and the job he had to do but um there are just certain things that he did that uh i that you, where you don't you just don't it's against code yeah and he he did it
1: yeah, that's that that's that so actually he's, he's really
0: the only
1: one. And, and and he's a buddy of mine. He's he's never he's never told me that. Um, I, I like Rob, but I again he he has went over the line. I've seen it on a few guys, and there's a few guys that won't talk to him. Don't go near him now because if he if he get if you get near him, he's gonna think it's a buffet. He'll be like Big Walt. He might eat your left leg or <laughs> or right arm. <laughs> Trust me. First time uh, first time I saw yeah. Big Walt for those out there, Keith Kachuk, he looked at me. He goes, "Barney, don't say a fucking word about my weight. Don't, don't fucking say oh, a gosh. word about my weight." And I was like, "No, you, you're great, Big Waltz. I just, so.
0: I just hope, I just, I just hope he takes care of himself because you know, it's really easy when you leave the game, and you know, you don't. There aren't people that are telling you you have to be in the gym, that you have to stay in shape, and you know, watching what you eat and all that stuff. And it's, it's really easy to go the other way. Trust me. Keith and used to ride the bike for an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. So, you know, he knew that he had to work hard to keep, uh, you know, to keep playing weight. And, you know, I, I just, I all I care about is that he's healthy and that he watches himself because I love Keith Kachuk. And, you know, that's, you know, you never like to see anybody yeah. go through go through, you know, lifestyle changes like that. You know, you know, Holly was the same way. Holly, you know, yeah. has battled it and gotten up and down. So, but still they're they're such great people and, you know, you wish them great health and that's, that's all
1: I care about. 100%. A, a couple more before we let you go, because I know you're going to go hit some balls. You're going to go make some money off Yvonne Lendl, the great Yvonne Lendl probably won't be as many F bombs today. And I'm sure you're going to hit it really well from being on the celebrity tour. It seems like every week. Um, what, what's the best barn you've ever played in?
0: Um, well, Chicago stadium and the Montreal forum, uh, were my two favorites. Third being the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Maple Leaf gardens. Um, just the, the history behind those buildings, the way that they were built, um, seeing the, you know, the championship banners, the, uh, you know, the retired numbers. There's, there's just something about the three of those original six that, um, I couldn't wait to get into. Um, just something came, came over me. It was, uh, you know, the first time I played in, in Montreal Forum, I, I, think I, I think I had to hold myself back from crying because it was just such, a, such an emotional, you know, awesome yeah. experience. You know, so those are my, my three favorites. We're
1: going from emotional to very, very happy. Best bar on the road.
0: Wow. Um, listen, every time I was in Vancouver, I would hit the Roxy and would close the Roxy. I had, have been known to do a couple sets on stage, whatever whichever band was performing at the Roxy in Vancouver. Uh, that was always my go-to, go-to bar. Um, so I would say there.
1: Are you going to um, be at the draft this year?
0: I am not. Oh, I'm actually going to be in Europe seeing my daughter. Oh. See my daughter in Europe. She lives in Germany. So Nice. Yeah, I wish that Vancouver is going to be uh, a lot of fun during the draft. There's no question. But Roxy's, is. I, I miss that place. That I, I've, I haven't been there in quite some time.
1: couple of things. Uh, I'm bringing my girlfriend to the draft. I'm bringing her to the Roxy. I know you shouldn't bring sand to the beach, but I'm, I'm bringing a lot of sand right to the biggest <laughs> beach, the biggest beach in the world, which uh, is a phenomenal place. I missed a flight out of there. After partying with Nickelback at their place, and I missed my flight back to New York, yep. so yeah, that 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 place yep. uh, whole, is close to my heart. Um, biggest
0: Chad, Chad and I had a couple. Chad and I had a couple um, had a couple deep nights in that bar <laughs> as well. Yeah.
1: Sure. yeah, good spot. Anyone out there? Go to Vancouver. Go to the Roxy. Tell them JR sent you. You will win. Roxy. Yeah, the best. It's the best uh, rookie and party. By the, and
0: by the way, and by the way, Chicago, Chicago. Everybody's got to go to the lodge. If you don't go to the lodge in Chicago, then you have, you have missed a Blackhawk um, uh, celebration celebration statement. There's no question about it.
1: I've seen you in the lodge a few times. Um, yes, good, great spot. That's that's where yep. everyone goes. Back in the day, that's where I got sick was the Crowbar. Don't don't go there. It, it doesn't end well. After uh, the I celebrated.
0: Crowbar. By the way, I celebrated. I celebrated the birth of my daughter in Crowbar, back in 1994. And absolutely don't remember one thing that happened from the crowbar. But I do remember that it was at the crowbar.
1: What's so, what, totally what's she doing in Germany?
0: My daughter's a professional equestrian. She rides dressage for a, um, for one of the biggest dressage companies or horse companies in the world out in northern Germany. So yeah, she's uh, she's pretty special.
1: Unbelievable! Some fun. That's unbelievable. How long has she been yep. out there?
0: She's been there for over a year now, about a year and a half, and uh, probably will not come back. You know, she's talked about being, you know, a certain job her whole life since she was seven, eight years old, and she, she, she literally, within the last three months, just acquired it. So she's in cloud nine. We're very proud of her.
1: Two more. R- uh, rookie party. Highest bill you've ever had. 56000 in Phoenix. Now it, in- wow. Wait, wait, wait. It included limos during the day, golf for the guys, and then Roos Chris with some entertainment, some very good yep. entertainment along the way, and we got in a lot of trouble that night. But um, that's
0: pretty good. I thought my I thought my thirty five thousand was big, but you got me. Yeah,
1: it was. It was. It you was. It was a good one. I asked everyone to chip in five hundred dollars. All the veterans to chip in five hundred dollars to help out the rookies. That's awesome. And Tom Barasso told me no fucking way. Make them pay. Um, I'm oh my gosh! Sure, that comes as a surprise <laughs> to you. Uh, lastly, before I, we, I remember we <laughs> go,
0: we, we used to we used to make we, we used to make the rookies go out into the main the main dining area and literally go stand on the table and sing the national anthem of whatever country they were from.
1: I love in that. In front of
0: everybody. I, that was the best. That was the best watching, you know, the embarrassment of them standing on somebody's table in the middle of the restaurant. How,
1: exactly. how much, how, how much was yours? My, mine was, mine was in Winnipeg. All our guys were hung over from the night before in Vancouver. Mine was $900 Canadian. Oh, wow. $900 Canadian. Well, mine
0: was, I had, I had two, two rookies with me and it was 11,000 total. So, it was. I
1: got off lucky. And that, yeah, that was even before me. Cause mine would have been ninety. Years would have been eighty nine, right? And mine would have been 90, yep, yep. 94 and ninety five. So our guys were so hungover. The only guys drinking were the rookies that night. Myself and Pekka and a, a few other guys. <laughs> so it would have even actually been less if it wasn't. Uh, NBC analyst, you're you're my favorite. I love watching you. Love watching you um, give your opinion. Who who do you like? It's been a crazy insane playoffs but uh what have you thought of the playoffs and who do you like going forward
0: you know i think they've been great and i think that's why we love the national hockey League so much because of the parody and you never know what's going to happen it's still the best hockey of the year i think uh, seeing what these these uh these wildcard teams have been able to do i picked before this before the playoffs started i picked st louis and boston in the finals with boston winning so my, uh, I think I might be one of the only ones that has two of their teams still remaining, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself.
1: I can guarantee you are one of the only. My, my fucking bracket looks like a chewed-up caramel. It should be thrown out, never, <laughs> ne- never fucking seen again, so yeah, it's been ugly. Those are two great picks. We'll be watching for you. Tell Messi, say hi. Tell him to fuck off. Uh, tell Yvonne, I love them, go win some money, Jr. Absolutely. Y- you are the best, and i got to tell everyone out there, when I asked you to come on, and I've had some technical difficulties with my end because I'm a, I'm a fucking moron with computers, and you have bared That's with you. me, you are one of the nicest guys you could ever meet, uh, entertaining, future Hall of Famer, terrific guy. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Matthew thanks, Barnaby Barney. and Filter. Really appreciate it, buddy. Have a great day.
0: Thanks, Barney. Hey, listen, we're brothers. I'm always with you. I love you to death. Okay, pal. I love being on the show. I had a lot of fun with
1: you. All right, sounds good. Have a great day, buddy. See you. Jeremy Roenick, uh, like I said, one of one of my absolute favorites. Um, we battled so much, and and he was obviously a much different player than I when I played. Uh, but certainly uh, one of the one of the good guys. Like I said, I, I've been having technical issues with my with my computer, and, and I've probably called him seven, eight times. He's been, he plays a ton of golf. He plays golf every day, whether he's in Arizona at his home or he's on the road or he's playing a tournament or he's working for NBC, he, he's playing golf, and he's fucking really good. Not bad when you get to play with John McEnroe and Yvonne Lendl and Mark Messier. Not not a bad week. Yeah, just brush it off. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Uh, but eighth overall pick in the 88 draft, Played for the Hull Olympics, and, and back then we never saw American kids, and we thought American kids were pussies. And he comes up to Hull, a French-speaking town, and dominates. I mean, I watched him. I, I lived in Hull at the time, and this kid fucking dominated. He would throw his weight around, whatever he had on him. He was a smaller guy, like you said, but he dominated. I think he had 70 points in 28 games up to up, right around there. Um, but dominant, dominant in an era where it was really tough. Really, really tough. The Quebec League was tough. He talked about being 155 pounds coming into the National Hockey League. Like just imagine that. Imagine that. 155 pounds in that era where guys are trying to kill you if you're good. This isn't Johnny Gaudreau in, in 2019 skating around. This is in this an era where you were allowed to clutch and grab and punch guys in the face and slash them anytime they had the puck, and if you really wanted to, just drop your gloves and beat the shit out of them. Uh, Jeremy could do it all. 1,363 games, 513 goals, 703 assists, 1,216 points. And just to top it off, yeah, 1,463 Pims. He did it all. He's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but he should be. Those numbers, with the way that he played, uh, but what I miss most is his character. Uh, he was, whether he was dancing, whether he was blowing you a kiss. Like I said, I kissed him on the ice when I was a rookie. Uh, watching him fight guys, guys that the guys that were fighters, and he was he was a superstar, all star, Canada Cups, World Cups. Uh, he did it all. He absolutely did it all. And uh, I, I'm fortunate to call him a friend now because. He is just a lovable guy that loves life. I love his family, love his wife, um, and everyone that comes around him. You, you just get an experience. If you're a fan, he is going to treat you like his, his best friend along the way. You know what? I, I'm going to tell a story. I, I want to thank him again. I, I can't thank him enough for coming on because so many people wanted to hear a lot of his stories. But uh, just for bearing with me. Uh, the last few days in in trying to get him on and look forward to seeing him in the near future. But I'm going to tell a story. Because he he started in Chicago, I think everyone thinks of Jeremy Ronick and they think Chicago Blackhawks. I'm going to tell a story from my days when I was in Chicago. One of our coaches. And we, we actually used to go, even though we flew charter, we were probably the only team that still had to go through the airport and through security. It's weird because usually you just pull up to the tarmac, you know, spoiled little fucking NHL pro athletes. We just roll up to the tarmac and the Mercedes, and I guess now they're probably Ferraris and and, and Lambos uh, along the way, but we'd pull up to the tarmac usually, and, and then you get on your plane and go on to the next city. In Chicago, we actually went through regular security. We went through the terminals. I know, fucking terrible, horrible. I can't believe we had to do it. We had to actually park our own cars. Don't you feel sorry for us? Bill Wirtz at the time was very cheap. Um, so we, we actually, we didn't fly commercial. It was, it was like we flew commercial, but we had our own private plane. So we're going through, and I remember getting teased. And I'm not going to use the coach's name because I don't want to Crush him too bad, but you can figure it out if you go back through the Chicago Blackhawks, two thousand five, right after the lockout. Uh, our coaches were great guys, but I was getting teased one day, and I can't remember what it was even about. And I said, "Fuck this!" So I was with Marty Lapointe, and we ended up stopping at a sex store on the way to the airport. I fuck him. I'm going to get him. He's like, "What? Are, what are you going to do?" I'm like, "Watch." So we stopped at the sex store, and I went and bought the biggest. Biggest dildo you can imagine. I mean, it, it, it was scary. Uh, I'm, I don't, I don't judge anyone on what they want to use for their sex life. Hey, go ahead. If it, if it makes you feel good, fire away. Let the big dog eat. But this thing was big. This thing was really big. It, it scared me. It had multiple buttons. It had multiple speeds. And this thing, this thing could take on the Russian army uh, back in the 80s. But I bought it. And he goes, what, what are you gonna do with it? And I go, just watch. So we stopped at the grocery store and I went and bought aluminum aluminum foil. And I wrapped it, wrapped it good and tight. And when we got to the airport, everyone kind of waits and sits around. And and then we kind of go through security together. So I slip in. I get someone to distract one of our coaches. It was not our head coach. And I open his bag, and I, I, I stick the dildo right inside. No no worse for wear. He has no clue what's going on. Just me and Marty know. And we're, we're, we're laughing. We're dying. No one can understand why we're laughing so hard, and we kind of go off by ourselves. As we go through, I'm right behind him, and I tell the security guard, hey, There's something in there. I want you to actually pull it out and and make a big deal, like hold it up. I said, it's just a joke. It's a prank. And they knew, like the Blackhawks are coming through. We know we're going to talk with all the guys and same guys usually that we see all the time. So he goes through in front of me and we're laughing. And I now, by this time, I've told a few guys. And he goes, excuse me, I got to pull you aside. And he's like, okay, no problem. And he goes through his bag and he, he goes, what's this? And he holds it above his head. And he goes, I have no no clue. I have no clue what that could be. He goes, do you mind if I unwrap it? He goes, absolutely unwrap it. I-, I have no idea what that is. I- I- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I-, I apologize, I'm sorry. Now he's a little scared. And the guy unwraps it and all the guys are looking like everyone's nervous and we're dying. We're dying laughing. And he holds it above his head again and it's this big, big dildo obviously and he's like ah, that's not mine that's not he's like sure sir sure sure he goes it's it's not illegal but you probably shouldn't wrap it in in tin foil. it's going to sound off he goes it's not mine someone and he looks over and we are dying laughing obviously uh i did a few laps the next day uh, when he found out that it was me uh, but it was one of those it was one of those good pranks there's a lot of pranks that you pull on the road that jeremy alluded to and, and that was one of my Chicago days there's not many from Chicago I do have one more from Chicago at some point that I will unleash it was it was one of my favorite ones that I did and uh, in the next coming podcast maybe next week uh, I'll bring that one out it's pretty funny it was it has more of a the movie seven feel the movie seven feel if you can imagine that there's a lot of different aspects of that movie but if you can imagine that uh, that's kind of kind of where it went so Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, we're going to be starting round three here soon. Chicago will not be there, uh, but St. Louis will. Congratulations to Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon scores the double OT winner with his son in the house. St. Louis was dominant. There's no way. I I don't cheer for teams very often, but man, I was fucking cheering for St. Louis because they dominated the Dallas Stars in game seven. Should have absolutely busted them up. At one point, uh, well, through periods two and three, out shooting them 17, or sorry, 31 to four. I believe that was it. Don't take me verbatim here. But I know they only had four shots, and one was a little soft dump in by uh, Jamie Ben at the end of the period. Four shots through two periods, not good enough to win. Ben Bishop was unbelievable. 52 saves, but St. Louis moves on. Boston will be playing Carolina, and we will have a game seven. A game seven in San Jose and Colorado to see who faces St. Louis for the Western Conference title. Always end with a quote. And because our good boy JR is playing Yvonne Lendl today, I was told a long time ago that 95% of the bets are won on the first tee. There's your quote, people. For anyone that plays golf, 95% of the bets are one on the first tee. Know your handicap. Don't be a fucking Hollywood that plays like a 10 but says he's a 6. You're going to lose money every day of the week. So 95% of your bets are one on the first tee. Use your handicap wisely. Again, thank you to Jeremy Roenick. Thank you to everyone out there. Nice to be back in Canada. The weather is changing. That means Stanley Cup finals are on their way. That means I'm playing more golf and probably drinking a few more beers, a few more vodkas, a few more martinis. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the hockey. Be safe. Salut. Bye-bye. Sayonara.